it is good to see you tonight because I have some things that I wanted to share that I might need a little help understanding. One of the remarkable things about this Christmas story as I revisited it is that Mary is probably at least eight months pregnant. If the baby is born when they are in Bethlehem, she's got to be close. And so the Roman government has instilled a, a new tax. And, uh, you know, I was playing with the kids earlier, the children's service, the uh, family service, and we were talking about, you know, Mary and Joseph, how awesome they were, and the shepherds were really cool because they responded to the message from the angels. And then we talked about the, um, the angels, and um, then I said, uh, and then the taxes came. And they all said, yay, they liked the taxes too because they liked all the other things. And I thought, well, I don't like the taxes. <laughs> and then as they thought about it, they didn't like the taxes. And the, the point being is that with children, you can get them to say anything, right? So now I need some honesty. Taxes, good or bad? <laughs> so the, the story is that they are on their way to Bethlehem to be enrolled so that they can be counted in the census so they make sure that the Roman government makes sure that they get their money when tax season comes around, which might be when they're going to Bethlehem. We don't know that for sure. And so... Mary, this is where I need some help, ladies. Mary is eight months pregnant, and she takes a 90-mile journey by foot. Is that possible, ladies? Those of you who have born children? I mean, in the eighth month, are you re I mean, I remember our daughters, they were told by their doctors in their pregnancies, on the ninth month, you can't get on an airplane. Um, and there's a fair amount of walking in the airport, but it's not nine, 90 miles. So uh, maybe she got the donkey. I mean, Joseph was a nice guy. Maybe he figured out a way to get a donkey. But that just kind of went through my mind over and over again, thinking how long of a trek that was. 90 miles, eight months pregnant. So they make the journey to Bethlehem. And... Um, as they get there from Nazareth, you know, I'm thinking about what are they talking about? You know, are they talking about the taxes, <laughs> um, the enrollment? Um, are they talking about the baby? Um, maybe they're talking about their parents. You know, we don't want to raise the child this way, you know, the way I was raised. Um, maybe they're talking about, um, you know, when they get back home. Uh, I also had to, had to think that Mary was maybe a bit afraid, even though Joseph was with her. I mean, these roads were dangerous roads. And that maybe Mary was a little, a little bit afraid for her and for her baby. Were they going to be safe? This is an obedient couple, that they would go from Nazareth to Bethlehem to be enrolled for more taxes and then to 
take that journey during your last month of pregnancy? What if she went into labor? Uh oh, <laughs> she did, didn't she? <laughs> yeah, she went into labor. We think in Bethlehem, thankfully. Um, but while they were there to be enrolled, she gave birth. And this is what I found fascinating, was that this was the sign. The birth was the sign. It was a miracle. Now, a, a new baby is a miraculous thing. I, I'm of the generation that finally allowed fathers to be in the delivery room with mothers um, right before my generation. That wasn't possible. You waited, in, the men waited in the waiting room. Um, so I was there for the birth of my children, and it is a miraculous event. Um, and my wife puts up with way more stuff than I ever have to. Um, and if you don't believe that, just go with your wife during childbirth and remain with her during that time. Um, but this baby was miraculous. But, you know, every baby is kind of miraculous. But this baby was different. This baby came with a promise, with a sign. And the sign was this, that this child, this little baby that was born, would take all of our sins and bear them. This little baby was already weighed down with the sin of the world as it came into this life. This little baby is the one who would bridge the chasm between heaven and earth. You know, we pray that in, in the Lord's Prayer. We pray for heaven to come to earth. And we believe that God is already doing that. Ever since Jesus' presence here on earth through his ministry, through his death, through his resurrection, we believe that that chasm is being closed, that heaven is coming to earth but Jesus is waiting for us to use our hands and our feet and our mouths and our tax money to serve God to serve his son the miraculous thing is that the sign is a little baby He's come to redeem the world. Mary and Joseph got to see this sign first, right when he was born in the, in the manger, in the stable. They saw this miracle, and they remembered that the promises which they had heard from the angel Gabriel. You know, Mary remembered what he had told her. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give, him, uh, give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give you the throne of his ancestor David. Will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel forever. And his kingdom will never end. And Joseph remembered his encounter with Gabriel. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her 
was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so Jesus was born, and Mary and Joseph named him as they had been told. So Mary and Joseph got to see this miracle, this baby, this sign from heaven, this gift from God. And they were just visitors to Bethlehem, but they weren't the only visitors to Bethlehem that night. As strange as it might seem, while they are visiting Bethlehem, they are visited by shepherds. The shepherds had been going about their daily work. What is their daily work? Well, they were responsible for the sheep. And uh, the kids knew that at the earlier service, by the way. Uh, they're smart kids. And, and, and so they're responsible for the sheep. So if the sheep stray away, they got to go get them. If, the, if one of the sh sheep goes into the river, they've got to go into the river. And, um, you know, when they, when they take care of these sheep, they are probably, they're outside, they're getting dirty and sweaty, and they don't have a home. They sleep outside with the sheep, most of the shepherds did, um, because you were responsible for them for the whole time you were with them, 24-7. And so, you know, the shepherds, I often think that the shepherds probably resembled the cowhands from Yellowstone, more than the choir boys that are all dressed up singing in falsetto voices um, with shepherd costumes on. And, and, and so for me, when they came to visit, Mary probably wondered how safe she and her baby were. Shepherds didn't have a great reputation. You know, that as I already told you, they're outside. They were messy. They were dirty. And... Um, they didn't get much of a chance to clean up. And, you know, you don't often think of shepherds worshiping God, you know, revealing the Holy Spirit. Um, you don't think of shepherds being the inquirers of the faith. But these shepherds, when they came to see this sign, which they had been told about, this baby, they began to sing praises. The scriptures tell us that in the past years, the words that you hear coming out of the shepherd's mouth are not the same words you hear coming out from a church. But in this case, it was the same as what you would hear in a church. You see, the shepherds are singing praises, giving glory to God in the highest heaven because all that they have seen, that this little baby born in a stable lying in a manger, was the gift from God that was going to save the world. The scriptures say that all who met the shepherds were impressed with them, even astonished by their story. And, and that's an accomplishment. If you're a shepherd and people are astonished with your story, that's an accomplishment. I mean, you remember? They're from Yellowstone. But somehow this miracle changes them. You might even say it transforms them from Yellowstone cowboy-like shepherds into 
Young men who are now giving praise and glory and honor to God. For they have seen the same sign that Mary and Joseph have seen. A baby lying in a manger. You see, that's what the scriptures tell us. This is the sign. The Savior, yes, Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. That's the sign. But there's nothing extravagant about this birth, about this sign. Nothing out of the ordinary. This past week, Patty and I had the joy of having our granddaughters over for an overnight. And so we did the Grammy and Bumpa thing by taking them out for ice cream at 9 o'clock. after we drove them around looking at some Christmas lights. And boy, we saw some phenomenal Christmas lights. I mean, there's this two houses south of Cactus down 100th and 8th Street. And they are just, the only two houses really decorated. I mean, there's a few lights here and there, but these two are, I mean, there's thousands and thousands of lights and all kinds of creative displays. And um, there's even a dancing, singing Santa Standing, I mean, he's life-size. And, I mean, he looks real. He might be real. I don't know. Maybe they hired somebody to do that all night long. But he's singing fa-la-la-la-la. And then he, my wife thinks he's singing French then. But um, it was, yeah. So, so the, the spectacular light displays that we see. But Jesus isn't there. You can go to New York City, to Rockefeller Center, and you can see the largest, most beautiful Christmas tree in the whole world, at least in our world. But Jesus isn't there either. The good news for tonight is that God blesses the ordinary. And that's where we will find Jesus. Not in the spectacular shows, and displays, but in the ordinary aspects of our lives, in the impoverished communities around us, Jesus is there. In the places where there is grief and weeping and heartbreak, Jesus is there. In the cries for peace in a world that suffers way too much from war, and oppression. Jesus is there. God has come and left an extraordinary sign, an extraordinary miracle, in a very ordinary way, through an ordinary family. God has come as a baby born to a young teen mother who had recently been married to a tradesman, a craftsman, God has come as a baby born into the lives of this couple. And yet there is nothing extraordinary about this family. There is nothing extraordinary about the town that this baby is born in, Bethlehem. The town actually means the, the house of bread. And uh, Bethlehem is the Hebrew. And 
you know, when you talk about House of Bread, um, that's probably what it was known for. This, the, the, the land around Bethlehem was known for, uh, for farming. Uh, I don't know if you remember the story of Ruth and Naomi coming back uh, to Israel and uh, meeting up with Boaz. Well, Boaz's farm was right outside of Bethlehem. So we think that uh, they probably had a lot of bread stores, bakeries. Um, they probably had a, a mill here or there. And, and when you think about this little town, though, it was like a little farming, ranching community with the sheep and some cattle and the grain. And it was about eight miles outside of the, the great city of Jerusalem that held the king's palace where the temple was found. And in not Jerusalem, but in Bethlehem, that's where Jesus was born. In the very insignificant little city. And right next to the big city. The city was known as the city of grief, Bethlehem. Do you remember the story of Jacob and his wife Rachel? And uh, remember how he got tricked into marrying Leah first? And uh, he and Leah had ten children. Jacob finally got to marry Rachel. And then he and Rachel had two children. But I don't know if you know the story that Rachel died in childbirth with her second child, Benjamin. And so that happened in Bethlehem. So Bethlehem has also been known as the city, not only the city of David, that's where David came from, because he's a shepherd, remember, but also known as the city of grief. Jacob buried his wife, Rachel, there. Her grave is still marked with an elaborate memorial. I'd love to show it to you, but uh, the Israelis have built a concrete barrier around it, and only Jews can go in to see it now. It used to be kind of open to all Jews, Christians, and Muslims, but um, we'll have to work on that so we can get back to visiting Rachel's tomb. In Matthew's Gospel, I don't know if you remember, you know, when the, the wise men, the Magi, come from the east to see the baby Jesus. And then um, when they're going back, remember they've been told in a vision not to go back to Herod because Herod wants to do harm to the baby Jesus. And so then the story goes that Herod killed every child every boy under the age of two. We call that the slaughter of the innocents because since he couldn't find and isolate where Jesus was, he figured if I kill them all, I'll get rid of them. Herod killed his own family, so it's not a surprise. So this is quoted by Matthew from Jeremiah where we find it originally for Rachel grieving over her people who have been led into exile. This is the, the quote, a voice is heard in Ramah. This is the place right outside of Bethlehem. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. 
Rachel is weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted. So our brothers and sisters in the Jewish faith use that scripture to be reminded of, of the grief that they experience in the exile and to identify then with every exile that the Jews have gone through. And Matthew incorporates it then as an additional reference to the slaughter of the innocents. Listen to this. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel is weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted. Her children are the children of Israel. And those innocents that were slaughtered in Bethlehem, those were children of Israel. Rachel wept for her children. Tradition tells us that uh, Benjamin, you know, was the 12th son to Jacob. And the 12 sons then become the head of the 12 tribes of Israel. So you have one son over each tribe. And tradition tells us then, and, and the Tanakh, the Jewish scriptures tell us, that the next son that is to be born to Israel would be the Messiah. The one who would deliver Rachel's children and the whole world from the sin and from the dread of death. What I'm trying to lay out here is that Jesus came into this world in a very ordinary way. And, you know, for Mary and Joseph, there were no choirs of angels. That was for the shepherds. There was no royal proclamations from the palace of the temple in Jerusalem. And the only royalty to show up were, th were not actually three kings, but three magi. They were astrologers from the Far East, and technically they were not royalty. So this is a very ordinary birth, but attached to this birth is an extraordinary promise. And that promise is that God is with us. God is with you. In your grief, God is with you. In your despair, God is with you. In your brokenness, your sin that weighs you down, God is with you. The good news is that Jesus is here tonight with you. Where the word of God is heard, and the sacrament is share, that is where Jesus is tonight, here with you. Jesus has come to give you new life and to bring you hope. And this is the sign. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, uh, cloths, cloths, lying in a manger. The Savior 
yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. This, my friends, is the miracle. This is the sign.